0: It's games, huh?
1: Spilling tea and talking sports. You're listening to the Game Day Tea Podcast Mm -hmm. with your host, my name, D Gil.
0: Hello, everybody this is a new episode of the game day tea via out sports i am your host d gill i have another wonderful episode for you all today your listening pleasure i have my guest devin e who is the first open game major league rugby player he is the division one national champion and he is the now, Devin, don't, don't, if I mess this up, you correct me now. Maccabia, Maccabia Games Gold Medalist. Did I do right? Did I do good? <laughs> you did
1: good. Maccabia, Maccabee, you can go either way.
0: There we go. It's got a lot of vowels and, and letters in it. So there you go. <laughs> but anyways, welcome to the game day T, Devin. I'm so excited to have you on.
1: Thank you. And yeah, thank you for having me on. I'm really excited about this.
0: No problem. As I mentioned, you're the first openly gay major league rugby player. And before we get into that, whole story and how that came to be I want my listeners to know you like your sports background like how did you even get into rugby
1: (laughs) um I think the easiest way to answer that is just completely by just dumb luck and chance um I actually I grew up playing a few different sports like I swam growing up and I played soccer but nothing that I ever really excelled at so when I got to the high school, I was like, you know, I'm going to try some new sports and see what we got. And I decided to try out baseball, which okay. one of my favorite sports when I was growing up. And I went out there having never played baseball before, expecting some sort of miracle. And unfortunately, I was one of four players not to make the team. Um, oh, no. <laughs> though I think it was pretty obvious to me that my athletic goals might have been shooting a little bit too high at that point. Mm. So I ended up going back to the drawing board, trying to figure out what other sports I might be able to do. And I just randomly saw that rugby was offered at our school. And that's kind of how I just, I found it. I just started going to practices and I realized that I wasn't that bad at it. And yeah. I figured I would stick with it.
0: That's awesome. I barely, we barely even had baseball at my high school, let alone rugby. So that's amazing. Uh, yeah. So you're, so you're playing rugby and you're liking it. Um, did So the physicality didn't bother you at all. You were like, bring it on. Uh, do you think, you know, do you think like I your went- personality suits rugby or did you have to kind of grow into it?
1: It's a, it's kind of like a mix of both, right? I, I definitely don't think I could ever look at myself with a straight face and say that I went into there that first day of rugby and I was just like this beast who loved contact and was all about it. Like mm-hmm. it was definitely a bit of a growing process. Like, I had played football, like American football for a really short spell, I decided to try it out and it just like, it was not for me. Like I just, I hated (laughs) pads, I hated the, the heat and just like everything about it. And I was kind of just like afraid of the contact. So for some reason, when I started playing rugby, I didn't quite have the same hesitation. And I think part of it was when I would make a good player, I'd make a good tackle. My teammates would be really vocal about the fact that I'd done something well. They would come and they would congratulate me and praise me, which was not something that I was really used to as an athlete, as I said. (laughs) I'm exactly a shining star. Um, So that's, I think, kind of how I just started growing into it more. I was like, well, this is something I'm good at. I'm really competitive. And if I'm good at something, I'm going to want to just do it as much as I can and kind of keep improving, you know?
0: Yeah, that that's good because uh, well, when when the world opens back up, quote unquote, uh, there's a local rugby team that I kind of want to check out and see if I'm interested in, and I, I just don't want to freak out when I see how physical it is. But you know, <laughs> we'll see how that goes.
1: <laughs> you know, it looks a lot worse than it is. Like a a lot of the injuries and things you get in rugby, it's just it's just bumps and bruises. You know, you'll mm-hmm. you'll have a sore leg. You'll feel like you got into a minor fender bender the day after a game. And then you'll just kind of you'll move on and you'll be okay. Right. Nothing well, too crazy.
0: Well, speaking of injuries, in 2017 you did have a hamstring tear playing for the World. Give me
1: the name. World McAvee team USA yeah. McAvee.
0: There you go. And you also had some uh, injuries breaking your hand in 2018. Uh, yeah. Tell me about that. Like, tell how did you persevere and just like keep going?
1: It was um. It's crazy. I would like to say that I was just like that. I'm just some medical Marvel and that I just magically <laughs> bounced back and, right, X-Men, and right? <laughs> But um, a lot of it was really due to the physical therapist that I had. I just had an amazing physical therapist who loved the challenge of trying to get me to <laughs> be ready in time for all of those games. Um, so actually the way that I met him was like you mentioned, I tore my hamstring two weeks before I left for the World Maccabe games and that was actually how I found my physical therapist completely by chance. I just mentioned that I was leaving for this massive tournament I'd been training for, for four years. And i had gotten a tear in my hamstring. And I think he liked the idea of the challenge and <laughs> trying to see if he could get me <laughs> up speed for that.
0: Wow. And that's, those are nasty type of injuries. I, and I, but I just want to say thank you because I am an occupational therapist. This is my full-time job. I know what it's like to go through injuries like that. i Work with people with hamstring tears, teaching them how to get dressed again, how to go to the toilet again, how to go do the shower after tearing their hamstring. So, thank you for finally saying, Hey, this is what helped me get to where I am. Because, Devin, when we hear stories or we see athletes, we say, Oh, yeah, so and so towards ACL, he's out for this rest of the season. And then we see him next week. It's like, wow, he's really come back after that tear. It's like, okay, well, well, what, what's the process between that? Like what happened with that? You know? And so we're kind of like that unsung type of unsung type of profession. So I appreciate you giving a shout out to all the physical therapists out there.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I, I could never honestly stop speaking his praises enough because he sat down with me. I tore my hamstring on a Friday. He saw me on a Monday and he gave me, day by day, hour by hour, everything you need to do between now and when you're trying to play in Israel. And I just followed it by the book. And by the time I got to Israel, I was starting to kind of regain mobility in my hamstrings, starting to kind of, you know, do some straight line runs, Mm -hmm. starting to feel a little bit froggy again. And uh, by the time the gold medal match rolled around, I actually got to start and we ended up going on to win the gold medal against South Africa, which was our first gold medal in 20 years. So amazing experience that i was <laughs> doing on a torn tendon slash hamstring and,
0: and you know that's uh, the athlete in you wanting to go out there and play knowing that you're probably not 100 but you can't keep me off this damn field i i appreciate that that's the competitor in you and i appreciate uh, athletes that do that and the doctor's like no no you can't go on the field you're like yes i'm going on that pitch <laughs>
1: <laughs> well you know it's it's just a tough mental battle obviously when you you build up for this tournament that i've been thinking about for four years right i mean this is Mm -hmm. all that's in my head of i want to be at peak athletic ability when i go there i'm going to be my absolute best self Mm -hmm. and then you get there and it's just kind of this trying experience of well i'm not where i wanted to be in this situation how do i move forward from here and one of the ways that i actually kind of framed that for myself which i think really helped my mindset was israel was a three-week long experience so you'd have like 14 days of training followed by 14 days of competition essentially so just over two and a half three weeks or so mm-hmm. and as the tournament goes on obviously everybody kind of starts to break down we're in the middle of Israel we're doing trainings multiple times a day we're going on tours it's like 15 14 hour days of just non-stops waking up at 5 a.m. and so I just had to kind of set myself aside and be like you're the only person at this tournament who's getting healthier every day I mean you're looking around at everyone else and they're all kind of starting to break down like you might not be in top condition but Mm -hmm. everyone else is going one way and you're going the other way so i'm like maybe if you just keep doing everything you can by that gold medal match you'll be one of the only people out there who's fresh and that's kind of how i kept myself going
0: i i like that i like that some coach listening out there may use that as a type of strategy i don't know Maybe oh. like, hopefully nobody's doing that anyway. But you did also have another injury in 2016 that I do want to talk about that was near fatal for you. And um, it ironically helped you come out. Tell me about that injury and what happened and how did that even begin to get you in the mindset of, I need to come out as a gay man?
1: That's a, that's a big question, Um hmm So the injury I sustained in 2016 was while I was there playing for a club called Scarborough Rugby Club. And we were just about five months into a seven-month season. I would just come off of playing 20 matches in New Zealand and decided it might be a good idea if I play another 20 this year in England. (laughs) So I was, I was really beat down. My body was just like, I was running on fumes at that point, but I just didn't want to pass up the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And we were playing a match one day all the way down in settle England, which happened to be our farthest away match of the season. And I was coming across the field, looking to make a tackle. This is in the second half, maybe 15 minutes left in the game. I find a guy who's a little bit smaller than me, a little bit faster than me. And he looks like he might be about to run at me. So I kind of see my opportunity, the player I am, my eyes kind of light up I like, I decided maybe I can come in, make a big hit, try to, you know, turn the ball over for our team. And I kind of tried to accelerate into it, and I tried to kind of lead with my chest to try to see if I could kind of hit him chest on and hold him up, which if I hold him up in rugby, I can get a turnover from my team. Okay. So as I went to approach and hit him with my chest, his shoulder came up last second and made direct contact with my Adam's apple. Um, oh, so, my gosh. So I immediately, obviously, I went down on the ground, and I was you know, kind of uh, doing a little bit of dry heaving type situation. <laughs> and the, uh, the trainer actually comes out on the field and he's like, um, you know, asking me what happened. And I'm, I kind of try to talk to him and I'm just sort of like, I think I hit my throat. Like I, I had this like awful, like raspy Christian Bale, Batman-esque voice, <laughs> like this, this horrible sound coming out. And he's like, uh, well, you know, try to take some deep breaths, like see, can you breathe unobstructed? And I'm like, I can breathe but it's it's pretty painful and he's like okay well as long as you can breathe unobstructed you're fine to just play on and finish the match and so I'm like okay well i guess i guess I'm playing then okay. and so I went on played the rest of the game barely able to talk and trying to communicate with my teammates and we ended up winning the game by one point but it was uh <laughs> it was not a good situation
0: <laughs> do you know okay you do know but for those out there listening if you get in Adam's apples, sit your ass down somewhere. Okay, yeah. Get some help.
1: <laughs> do, not, do not keep playing. That's the um, Because, yeah, what followed next was not ideal. I, you know, I go off of the field and I'm kind of just relieved the game is over. And obviously my throat is hurting quite a bit. It didn't feel nice. Mm-hmm. And I kind of felt a tickle in my throat while we were just in the aftermatch watching uh, the Six Nations rugby matches. And I feel a tickle in my throat and I cough and I just look down at my hand and it's just blood. And at that point, I'm like, I just go over to the trainer and I'm like, this, this is, what do, what do we do in this situation? Like, is this, like a bad thing? He's like, oh yeah, that's a, that's a sign that you should go to the hospital. And I was like, ah. So I now had to try to figure out how to get to a hospital when we're three and a half hours away from where I'm living in England. Um, and trying to navigate that, which ended up being kind of a nightmare in of itself. <laughs> um, yeah, because nobody was there. So everybody <laughs> had kind of already left to go back to Scarborough. So I ended up being in a situation where I was just sitting in the back of the team bus, spitting into a cup because it kind of hurt too much to swallow my own spit and just sitting patiently and waiting for the oh, six hours or so it took for us to get back to Scarborough because they decided to stop at a local town and have a few drinks on the way. Uh, uh, While you back there coughing up and blood spitting blood? Fully on my deathbed, just like <laughs> <laughs> Google. I'm literally there Googling. I remember this so vividly because I ended up using all the credit on my phone because I was just Googling like, how bad is this? Like am I yeah. am I going to die? Like are we are we good here? Like what are the what signs should I be looking for? Just <laughs> frantically Googling. Right. That was gonna save me. <laughs> oh my
0: gosh! And so, what happened after that? Like, ha- like <laughs> I want to hear this the rest of the, show, the, rest yeah, of the So, story.
1: so after that, we eventually we get back to Scarborough, right? And at this point, it had been six hours since the time of the injury. We get back at like midnight, mm-hmm. and. I feel terrible. At this point, I realized that talking to people is not even really worth the pain and effort. So I'm just typing stuff on my phone to people to read. Yeah. And they come and they ask me when they get there, like, oh, hey, my missus is picking me up. Like, would you want us to take you to A&E? And I was like, ah, I don't really want to go to the hospital at midnight on a Saturday. Like, you yeah. know, I haven't died by now. I'm like, it's probably, you know, the worst <laughs> of the swelling is behind me. Like, we're, we're mm-hmm. fine. I'm just going to go home. And I was um, seeing somebody in Scarborough at the time. So I had my partner there and um i decided okay you know i'll just go i'll stay at their house for the night i'll try to just have like a mcflurry just so i can have <laughs> something you know you can eat a
0: mcflurry <laughs> so I,
1: I remember just being in my partner's bed just trying to scoop this mcflurry into my mouth and i'm literally just like grunting every time I try to swallow the ice cream I'm just like oh it's so oh my good gosh. But I can't eat it <laughs> and so I just eventually I'm just like all right well, I'm just gonna sleep it off you know we'll see how I feel tomorrow and I woke up the next morning kind of choking on my own spit like I kind of like choked a little bit and then I kind of sat up and I was like oh that was weird and I went back to sleep mm-hmm. I did that another two times before I got the message I was like I think I need to go to the emergency room to take me. So they picked me up and took me to the local hospital um, and started evaluating me. And <laughs> pretty much as soon as he put his hands on me and evaluated me, he called the ENT specialist of the local hospital because we don't have one in Scarborough where I was living. Mm-hmm. And they were just basically like, Oh, you guys need to transfer him by ambulance immediately. Like we, we need to see him right now. Um so that was my first ambulance transfer <laughs> while I was in Scarborough. Wow.
0: And so how did that experience make you realize that hey, I probably need to come out?
1: So it was actually after I got transported to the hospital, mm-hmm. they did the whole thing where they, you know, they put the camera up your nose, they see what the swelling is like, they put you on steroids and the next day I woke up and so much of the swelling had gone down. I was like, oh, I feel I feel great. Like, I feel like a million bucks. I'm going to get released today. Mm-hmm. And they did a CAT scan. And I'm starting to make calls and plans for getting picked up to leave. And they do the CAT scan with injected dyes so they can kind of see what's going on inside of my throat. Mm-hmm. And couldn't have been more than 10 minutes after I took the CAT scan. And the doctor, who is the head of the ENT department, knocked on my door and was like, are you Devin? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. he's like, okay, well, let me explain how this usually works. Usually the head of radiology looks at your CAT scan, sees how it is, and then will send it on to me and I'll take a look and then I'll come and consult with you. He's like, in this case, the head of radiology looked at your CAT scan and thought it was so severe that he called me personally and said that I should come check on you to make sure you're breathing okay. So basically it ended up being that I was currently due to the swelling in my throat, which had gone down a lot. Mm -hmm. I was breathing through a hole about... Smaller than a dime, this like tiny little, almost like pen width hole. About
0: about an eraser size, would you say?
1: Yeah, I would say like, yeah, like the pencil kind of pen size. And you basically explained to me that I had fractured the cricoid cartilage that sits above my airway in two places. Mm -hmm. Swelling was obviously very severe. I had punctured a hole in my airway. So I was actually leaking air into my chest. So I had to start antibiotics to avoid an infection close to my heart. Mm-hmm. And then I severely bruised my vocal cords, which has really affected my singing performance since, I must say, <laughs> <laughs> it's been a really rough decline. Um, and then, so right then is he kind of just sat me down and was like, look, like it, you're gonna be okay. You're not gonna need surgery. The displacement is not so severe that, you know, that's gonna have to happen. But mm-hmm. he's like, I just want you to understand like how serious of an injury this is. He's like, this is usually associated with attempted hangings is our most common time when we see this and he's like, you know, so (laughs) take it very easy. He stressed that to me that I need to take it very seriously. And I did. I mean, I kind of sat down and I had to think about, you know, what was important to me in relation to rugby and what are the things that I wanted to play for and accomplish throughout my career. And playing in England was a great thing, but I was like, you know, what's something that is meaningful to me? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of when I planted that seed of, well, you know, I'm I'm a gay athlete, I've been open to my family. Like I came out to my parents when I was 12 years old. Like I have no, you know, I'm not not ashamed of my sexuality. I'm perfectly happy to kind of put myself out there and be a voice, it's just something I'd never done. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of wanted to make a promise to myself to kind of push myself out of my comfort zone and do something that would be not only meaningful to me but even could potentially have a positive impact on somebody else someday. Um, And that's when I first kind of had that idea in my mind
0: well that's that's amazing and uh to have that experience and to realize hey there's some there's a bigger picture that i need to do in my life right now i mean kudos to you for doing that because you could have threw through a pity party and you could have said oh man or you could have said all right this is nothing i'm just going to not take this as a sign and not think there's a bigger value in my life right now and uh I have never heard anything like that Devin. And so um, hopefully the, our, our listeners right now can probably relate to that and find that very interesting and to know that if somebody around you is going through something similar uh, an injury, something like that, or death in the family, anything, talk to them, see what's going on, because you could probably find out something that they've been probably hiding in their life that may impact them totally in the way that they didn't even think could so.
1: Yeah. And I think it's also a classic example of, you know, sometimes your biggest failures or lowest moments can kind of lead to something. That's one of your biggest accomplishments. And, you know, obviously I take immense pride in the fact that I came forward to be the first openly gay major league rugby player. Like that's something that I'm very proud of. And Mm -hmm. I think that I would have gotten there without kind of some of those failures. I mean, as you mentioned, I ended up tearing my hamstring in 2017. That was actually I didn't even play in between when I fractured my throat and when I tore my hamstring, I was just training during that time. So when I fractured my, or when I had gotten over fractured my throat and got that hamstring tear, like I was just straight back down into the dumps. I mean, I was, I was devastated and I really felt like I was going to miss out on a lot of my goals. And I think that the amount of times that I failed really aided me in pushing for those moments where, I was doing something that was meaningful for me and doing something I was proud of because I know that even under the best circumstances, a lot of the time I fell short of what I wanted to do and (laughs) failed at what I wanted to do.
0: Well, something you didn't fail at, sir, was finding your partner, Fergus. And (laughs) I'm gonna bring him into this conversation at this point in time, because he also helped you come out. Please tell me how, How did he do that? A lot of people are dating people that aren't out and out. You know, there's that dynamic of one's out, one is not out. And it could be kind of detrimental to the relationship. But for you all, it worked
1: out. I think it kind of plays into the same theme, right? Of when you have these trying moments or these failures, it really like pushes you to go towards something that's meaningful to you. And I think the way that that relates to me and Fergus's relationship was... Like you mentioned, at, when we started dating, I mean, I was still being very much closed off about my personal life in regards to my rugby teammates. And Fergus is just he's been openly gay for you know several years. He had no problem posting things about us or wanting to talk to his friends and things about us and was always very proud to be seeing me. And I felt the same way about him, but I didn't feel comfortable putting it out there on social media for my teammates to see because i was afraid of the backlash and i think that having that situation where i felt like i was kind of pulling him back into the closet and kind of like dictating how open he was i was you know i was asking him to keep his instagram private so that our pictures wouldn't be out there together and it did take a big toll on us there were times where we had to have that difficult conversation of well is this because you are not ready to come out to your teammates yet or is this because you're ashamed of me and you mm-hmm. don't share you know our relationship with the world which was not how i felt and i think you know when we talked about it we were able to kind of get on the same page about that but it's like there's only so many times you can say that to somebody over a 3 year relationship and you know actions speak a lot louder than words i think in that situation yeah. so he really helped me just by being that constant reminder that I still wasn't as open as I wanted to be. I think when you're single, it's easy to just sort of be like, well, I'm just kind of keeping to myself and I don't bring it up because there's no reason to bring it up. Mm-hmm. But when you're seeing somebody and you're doing all these things, like, you know, Fergus and I would go on weekend trips and we would go on road trips and we'd go see things and it's like people ask you like oh well how's your weekend and I'm like well I can't just I don't feel like I can just come straight forward and say like oh it was great Fergus and I went to Maine and we had a bunch of lobster and it was amazing mm-hmm. I've got to like I'll just kind of be like oh you know it was all right yeah. so I think that's part of how his relationship with me really spurred me to be more open with it because I didn't want to have that kind of hanging over our relationship like I wanted to be able to come forward and he never rushed me. He was always extremely supportive of that. And I think that played a huge role.
0: That's so sweet. I, I love that he supported you and you know, everybody wants to when There's an Outsports story on your coming out story. Very well written sir, by the way. Um, if you all go on outsports.com and go to the coming out stories, you'll see Devin's story and i was reading it and i was like wow i bet i just to have a inside look or a tv series about how that was for you all the back and forth the ups and downs the sneaking on the way on the weekends and having to tell your buddies oh we were just i just stayed at home and chilled when you was yeah. your boy you know it's just like it's just so amazing that a lot of people don't realize what we go through in the lgbtq community just simply because most likely we're either a couple of things. We're not okay with who we are, or we're afraid of the perception of people. And so um I'm glad that you all did that together. And it turned out brilliantly. And now you're on my show today.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, you're spot on, though. I think fear of perception was a, a massive issue for me. I mean, I felt like not even necessarily just I think a lot of people focus on how people are afraid of negative reception and you know obviously having relationships or friends and teammates reject you but I think another thing that really stuck in my mind was even if the reception was positive when I was younger I was I just sort of had this idea of like well I don't want to come forward and be known as that gay rugby player right I'm like I want to just like be the best rugby player I can be and be known for doing that. I don't want it to now be attached to this personal detail about me. And that was like a massive fear for me that kept me from coming forward. When I, you know, when I became captain in college, I considered doing it. And then I talked myself down for the same reason. I was like, well, you know, you don't want to be known as just that person. Mm -hmm. And I think that's sort of when I had this major shift, when I kind of created this Instagram account of being like, well, it's okay to be known as that gay rugby player. And Maybe if I kind of take that on myself and say that I'm that gay rugger, then maybe the next person who's considering doing what I'm doing isn't going to have that same fear. Um, So that was just like a very small way that I felt like maybe I can hopefully take a bit of the weight off of the next person who kind of comes forward.
0: That's amazing. And I'm glad you mentioned your Instagram account, that gay rugger, because (laughs) I want to do something, Devin. I want to read your coming out story. If you don't mind, for though I know I mentioned the website, uh, the Outsport story, but I, I just feel like I need to say this out loud because it's so beautiful and so moving. So that you're listening to this, you can get a real sense of why I'm so passionate in this guest that I have today. We have to take a quick little break here, but don't go anywhere. I'm going to read his coming out story coming up. And if you go somewhere, I'm going to try to find a rugby move and learn it and use it on you somehow. (laughs) Anyways, we'll be right back with the Game Day Tea. Welcome back to the Game Day Tea. I'm your host, D. Gill, and I am talking to Devin Ibanez about his coming out story. It goes as follows. As 2020 comes to a close, I took the time to reflect on my life and what aspects I could control and make positive changes to that. That would impact my day-to-day life and happiness it became clear to me that living my life with more transparency and openly celebrating who i love would have immediate positive impact on me and those i care about so i want to start 2021 by celebrating the love of my life my partner fergus wade who has been with me through the highs and the very lows of the last three years i am openly gay this is something that is not a secret to me to those close to me and several people t- not close to me but i always felt a need to keep it separate from from my rugby career i always came up with a reason why being more vocal would be a distraction detrimental or unnecessary as the years went by no level of success was enough to justify potentially losing opportunities within the sport jeopardizing relationships or making my myself a personal target on the pitch the final goal became Once I sign a pro contract, I will be more vocal and become the first openly gay MLR player. As the day came and went, I signed a contract with the national rugby team, and I moved the goalposts even further. This was largely fueled by a narrative I told myself that unless I left, no doubt about deserving my spot that I would be viewed as a token and not a true professional. Mm. But what I consider as casting a shadow I've slowly realized can also act as a beacon. So I have decided to embrace what I once felt embarrassed of and be proudly and shamelessly myself. I have met some incredibly talented LGBTQ rugby players over the years, many of whom were blackballed from playing a high level solely due to being gay. As of now, I am the only openly gay rugby player to earn a contract with MLR side. I hope that I will meet others like myself playing a high level of rugby and hoping to inspire the next generation of proud LGBTQ rugby players. So I will proudly call myself that gay rugger in hopes that one day it won't sound strange to in men's rugby. How does that feel? Listening to me, read that out loud.
1: I feel like I'm a long winded person. <laughs> 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 um, no, I, in all seriousness, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really interesting hearing somebody else say it and also just hearing, you know, how much those words have kind of meant to people because, you know, that was just something I sat down and wrote on my phone during a 20-minute lunch break at work. I mean, it wasn't meant to be this thing that was going to be picked up by media outlets or, you know, necessarily mm-hmm. shared outside of my kind of sphere of friends. Um, so to see that it's kind of had that sort of reception has just been... Just like incredible for me to hear that. Um and especially because I was being very honest in that post. And I felt like I was really putting myself out there because there were times over the year or two leading up to it that I really like I truly felt like I was a failure. I felt like, you know, even though I had signed my contract, that I hadn't hit that next goal for me, which was, you know, being a mainstay player on the team who's gonna be starting every game and is gonna be one of the best players. Like I I fell short of that goal. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, it was extremely emotional after making that post to kind of realize, well, I actually didn't fail. I set out and I did what I said that I was going to do. But yeah. same with a lot of things that I've done in my career, it didn't work out in my best case scenario. Um, but to see that it still had that impact, even though I felt like i fell short, was just like an incredible life lesson for me that I can be so hard on myself and I can kind of put these walls up for myself because I'm afraid of not doing the best that I could possibly do. If that makes sense.
0: That makes total sense. And um, I, me reading that, I was just just blown away how open and, forthcoming you were and to hear that you well to see that you wrote that your account went to 0 to 4000 plus followers means that you know you hit a nerve a good nerve in the sense <laughs> with a lot of people and um I, kudos to you and that takes a lot of guts devin what you did because as you as you know there's some people out there in rugby you can't be the only one right you can't be but there's some some guys and girls you know out there them they out there players out there that uh just can't take that step yet and that leads me to my next question what was your reception like between your 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 classmates and your uh your uh, class let's do this not classmates um your teammates and the outside perception fans and stuff what was that like
1: teammates have been just like across the board incredibly supportive i mean i think that Everybody, you know, who is supportive of me has been reaching out to me. It's possible there are people who aren't supportive of it, but they've just kind of kept their mouth shut rather than actively saying anything to me. And, you know, I haven't been in a proper team environment since I came out, but it's not even something that I'm remotely worried about at this point. I mean, it's, it's been made so clear to me by the local rugby community and as well as the rugby community within the U S that they have my back. And um, it's been, just people who I didn't expect to be as moved by it. I've had people who aren't even LGBTQ plus and maybe just have family members who are or friends who told me how important they thought it was that I came forward and how they really wish that other people in our sport would come forward in that way. And I don't think that that was something I was expecting. I mean, I, I obviously hope that there would be somebody who had similar life experiences to me who would be affected by it. But I didn't even think about the fact that people who don't identify as that would mm-hmm. feel back from it as well.
0: Yeah. And we love our allies.
1: Things. What was that? I
0: said, we love our allies.
1: <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> I mean, really shown me just like the strength of the allies that we have in the rugby community. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've also even had teammates who kind of saw me do um, an Instagram live where I talked about some of my experiences and they came away from it being like, well, that really like made me want to reflect on have I been being a good ally and have I been contributing to kind of some of those negative environments in the way that he's describing. So just think that I could have people reflecting on their actions and trying to think of ways to make rugby more inclusive. like that's beyond anything that I could have expected for something like this. So I think that that aspect has been like really incredible.
0: As an athlete, do you feel like since you've come out, um, I know you're not actively playing right now because the world is like going through this pandemic, but do you think it will have an impact on your play? Do you think you'll be less freer mentally? Um, Cause I, I asked this question to a lot of athletes and some have said, yes, some have said no, but there's a lot of, you know psychological factors that go into a lot of what we go um go through on a daily basis and being in the closet me personally Devin, i think that's one of the huge type of mental uh, block and trying to be the best type of person you can be in any day life whether you're playing rugby teaching or trying to be you know interact with your family so how do you think that affects your um, play on the pitch
1: I think that the biggest effect that it's going to have is really just kind of relieving a lot of pressure that I was putting on myself. I think that I'm still going to have this immense desire and need to perform at my best and play as much as I can to inspire as many people as I can. Mm -hmm. But like I mentioned, while I was trying to kind of cement my place in the professional organization, every single day and every single action became about I can't make any mistakes, right? I'm like, if I'm if I'm going to be the best advocate for this community that I can be and I can be as visible as I want to be, then I need to do everything right. Like, I can't leave any room for doubt. Like, I need to make sure that every time we run a fitness test, I get my best time. And I need to make sure when we play a game, I don't drop a ball and I don't make an obvious mistake. But as an athlete, people can tell you, like, there's a massive difference in preparing to not fail than preparing to succeed, right? So I think a lot of what I was doing was doing everything I could to not fail. And when you have that kind of hanging over you, you become anxious about every mistake, right? You build up this anxiety in your head. Like every time we had a fitness test, which was every Monday morning at 5 Mm a.m., I wouldn't sleep just I would just be awake until either three or four, maybe I'd get an hour of sleep and I would just be going over my head. Like if I don't get the best time on this, like maybe I don't have a spot on the team next year. And it was just something that was constantly hanging over me. So I think that with that aspect taken out, and with me just being able to focus on, I've already accomplished this massive goal that I wanted to, which was coming out in this way. So the rest right now is just kind of a cherry on top for me. I can just focus on loving rugby, being the best player I could be, and not necessarily focus on trying to prove myself every second. Um, so I think that that's going to be the biggest kind of mental effect for me in terms of my training. If that, if I think that that makes sense, right?
0: <laughs> no, no, that makes it. That makes sense totally. Uh, do, do you? Did you experience homophobia? Did that kind of mess with your mental aspect as well? Like, let's do this. Homophobia before you came out, and how do you, how will you treat homophobia now that you have come out?
1: So, I think the biggest kind of moments where I would experience it are in a lot of the microaggressions that are still kind of present in the sport. (laughs) You know, people will still use the word gay to kind of belittle somebody or describe somebody who's, you know, not going hard enough in training or, you know, I, I think one kind of classic example I have is we had a coach for one of my teams where if you dropped a ball in training, he would say, you um, say, Oh, you should go play for the Ironsides. I heard they're looking for some average players. The Ironsides are the local inclusive gay rugby team in Boston. Wow. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's not even necessarily a microaggression, right? That's pretty <laughs> yeah. straight up out there just saying, Hey, you should just go play with these people who are lesser because they're gay is what you're basically trying to tell us in front of the whole team. So when you have that and you have that kind of messaging from your coaches, it becomes really difficult not to think like, well, if I were to come out, then he's automatically going to assume I'm a lesser player, right? Like he Mm -hmm. refers to gay players as being lesser and not being as successful. So if I come out, is he going to, is it going to cost me opportunities? Am I not going to be able to play because he has this preconception about gay players? So you know, for me, I just kind of took it as, okay, well, you know, I'm going to ignore the homophobia and I'm just going to focus on what can this coach offer me? You know, what kind of technical game pointers can I focus on? But all it takes is that one comment to just kind of bring you out of that. Right. And now you're just focusing on, I can't believe you said that and how ridiculous it is and you're not focusing on how to get better. Um, So I think now that I'm out, I think that I can be much more confident just, stamping it out in the process and just pulling somebody like that aside and being like, like, like why? Like you you can make any analogy you want to make. You have this entire like world of words and things that you can use, but you just refer to this kind of age old troop that gay people are lesser and they're not as tough and they're not as talented. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that that's a way that I can kind of start with my local community because I know some of those coaches over the years who have said those types of things who I can kind of, Sit down with and just be like, you might not realize that you had a game player in your midst, but you did. And here's how the things that you said affected me and how it could affect somebody else who's in a similar situation. If you run into somebody like that in the rest of your career,
0: we got to change the narrative. You know, we got to change the narrative. We got to sit down with these coaches uh, with the players there's a uh, plenty of coaching alliances out there the, the, the resources are out there of how to deal with uh, members of the lgbtq community on your team and how to make your sport inclusion inclusive um yeah. there so there's no excuse there's no excuse and um i'm sorry you had to go through that um we have some work to do obviously but it sounds like you took it and you didn't let it affect you because you were one badass rugby player. I mean you were helping win your your teams win championships and medals, so kudos to you for not letting that affect you in a negative way since you have come out though have you has anybody like sent you an Instagram message with the homophobic stuff or anything like that you know trolling
1: you what's really interesting is I actually haven't had any direct message sent to me with that kind of um, thing yet. Mm -hmm. What I have had has been more of like the public comments on articles that have been shared that have been a little bit more negative. Like there've been um, like, you know, one of the really bad ones was basically somebody being like, you know, I'm surprised that he came out now. Usually they wait for their parents to die before they say anything and things, things along those lines. And, you know, other people just the kind of typical notion of who cares right and you look down you look down at all these comments and they're like oh you see all this positivity right like oh this this guy's so brave right with all these people who come and pat him on the back like it, it must be so hard being gay and having all these people who support you and love you and I think that that's kind of one of those situations where people when they see all those positive comments it can be easy to forget that that negativity is actually out there granted it's been kind of deafened by all these people who have come forward and been supportive, but it doesn't mean that it's not still an aspect that we deal with. And I think that that's something you see, like, people will try to um, edit their comment section, right, and get rid of the negative comments. And I'm just sort of like, well, for me, the negative (laughs) comments are just as important to show in some ways as the positive comments, because the reality is it's not all sunshine and rainbows and everyone's going to be happy for you and supportive of you. I think people need to understand that the reason why it's important and why I felt the need to share it in this way is because there are still people who are like that, who don't want to see an openly gay rugby player. They want to just see you be quiet and go about your business day to day, you know? Um, So that's been kind of interesting to see because it's come from the rugby community as well, just not so much the local rugby community, right? The sort of the rugby community at large. There's been a lot of that kind of sentiment.
0: Yeah. And um, it needs, we need the rugby, uh, gosh, we need change from rugby at the very top. Yeah. And, you know, we need them to come out and say, this is not okay. This is, uh, we accept all types of people uh, playing rugby, And, you know, I I have to tell you, Devin, seeing them, uh, the World Rugby ban trans athletes, uh, trans women from playing, I I really that really hit a nerve with me because I believe that everybody deserves the right to play. And I can only imagine what it felt like from a rugby player yourself hearing that news come out in what July and October and just devastating to a lot of people, a lot of good players. You know, yeah. got of, and doing what they love. How how did you w- take me through your day, I guess, if you remember, of when that news broke that the World Rugby banned trans women from playing?
1: I was incredibly angry and mm-hmm. just disappointed to see World Rugby kind of make that move and act in that way, especially like it was done behind closed doors. It was done just based on these preconceptions and assumptions that they had about trans athletes, there was no data or anything that was informing their decision. They just kind of came out and said, well, we're afraid of this thing that might happen someday, so we're just going to do an outright ban and take this opportunity away from you know, hundreds of amazing athletes who are now not going to have this opportunity to participate in this sport. And I think what bothered me the most about that was you had a lot of male rugby players coming in and feeling the need to defend it and say that, oh, well, of course we have to do this because we have to protect our female, our real female athletes, as they will say, you know because they don't believe that trans women are women, which is one of the roots of this issue for them. Exactly. And it was really difficult to see that because they were kind of being the voice instead of letting the women who are their teammates The voice, right? The people who are actually affected by this decision were kind of being spoken over by these male athletes, being like, "Oh yeah, that would be ridiculous. That would be unfair. It would be like if I went down and I threw on the boots, and you know, I would be the best player on this team," which is just a ridiculous notion.
0: Ridiculous.
1: I think that people kind of. I'm trying to think the best way to describe it for me. Something that's always been so massive about rugby mm-hmm. is the fact that not everybody is on the same level in terms of their strength, exactly. in terms of fitness, their size. Like, there's such a wide range of athletes who are represented in a single rugby match. You'll have somebody who's five foot three and 110 pounds. With somebody on the other team who's six foot six and 270 pounds Mm -hmm. and there's never been an issue with those two differences in size competing in men's rugby there's never been an issue with differences in athleticism happening in men's rugby so this idea that now trans athletes are detrimental to the game because people have this preconceived notion that they're going to be superior athletes and they're going to be superior strength and all these other things Rugby is a sport where even if that notion was correct, which scientifically there is not the data to support that, even if that notion was correct, then rugby is the perfect sport for it because we have all these different athletes with different levels of ability and strength and size. Like this is a sport where it doesn't matter if you have those things. Rugby is a game that goes beyond just your physical strength or your physical speed and athleticism. It's a team sport that requires tactics and requires skill. So one thing that was brought to my attention that I thought was really interesting is that there's never been a trans woman athlete to represent the USA at the Olympics. Mm-hmm. So there's the idea that there wouldn't be a place for women in sport because all of the, you know, or there wouldn't be a place for biological women in sport because it would be, their space would be taken by trans athletes. Mm-hmm. But that notion hasn't actually translated to the international stage, right? This notion that they're going to be all of the best athletes on the teams and all the best athletes on the field hasn't been something that we've even historically seen with worldwide athletics. So I think that's a lot of the reasons why it really bothered me because it was just so fueled by transphobia and mm-hmm. not by facts. Yeah. Uh,
0: and even the Olympic, I uh, guess, committee would you say they came out with saying uh, this little news press release saying that uh, testosterone, the levels needed to be below 10 uh, nanomoles per liter and that they're even trying to bring that down to five nanomoles per liter of testosterone in their body and they also have to in order to compete in the olympics they also want them to sit out a year uh while you're getting your hormone testosterone levels that low and it's like they have to go through so much just to compete already. Uh yeah. it's it's just a shame. It's it's just a shame. And world rugby coming out and saying that they won't be able to play elite rugby and they believe that a uh, woman will be at significant risk of injury. And they they came out with some study, Devin saying that um uh, biological men are forty percent heavier, thirty percent more powerful, fifteen percent faster than females. Well they're females. You know, they're they're females. We're not talking about males anymore, you know. And so uh, for them to come out and say that is just just mind boggling. And so hopefully we have uh, some justice for our trans uh, sisters, you know, out out there, trans women out there and they can play the game that they love.
1: Yeah, it's been completely unacceptable. I mean, there's no way to justify it. And I think something that I also found disappointing was not seeing a lot of the male athletes in our sport kind of step in and say something for the positive. So many people were so quick to throw their hands up and say that, oh yeah, no, trans women shouldn't be allowed to play with, with, in a woman's sport. But not a lot of them were comfortable to come forward and say the opposite and say that, well, these are human beings who have rights just like the rest of us and deserve to have the opportunity to play this amazing sport that we all play. So that was something that was really hard for me to see and why I really feel like I need to say something about it, because I don't think it's acceptable to just sort of let that lie and say that, oh, yeah, we're okay with just doing broad stroke discrimination in our sport.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, um, to that, so I want to end this uh, podcast on a positive note, though, um, and I, I want to ask you, what's next for you in Fergus? Because I, I want to, I want to follow this love story. How, how did y'all meet, by the way?
1: So we just met on a online, like right. We how most people meet these days. There you date <laughs> app, and then you go out on a date, and so that's how we ended up seeing each other. He was here in Boston doing research um, at a Harvard lab, mm-hmm. and we matched online, and we went and we hit it off, and we just kind of didn't stop spending time with each other after that. I mean, we started going places on the weekends together. We started spending, you know, five, six days out of the week together. And it was like that for the uh, entire rest of the year that he was here. So moved back. We decided to keep it going with the long distance relationship after thinking that we weren't going to be able to do that. And so that's kind of been where we've been at for the last couple of years. So the pandemic has actually been really difficult on us to kind of plan ahead. Because Fergus, now- if
0: you're listening, please be safe out there with this new strand of COVID that's hitting the UK. So keep you in our thoughts. Um, that's... <laughs> Yeah, I I, I love I love you all's love. And if I hope I'm not overstepping my boundaries and planning y'all's relationship. But if there's a engagement and a marriage soon, please send me an invite on the way. I can be a good hype man at the
1: reception. (laughs) We will absolutely let you know. And yeah, I mean, we would like to kind of we had plans where he was going to come and take a year off and come here again, or I was going to go and play there. But the pandemic is kind of throwing everything into a loop. So right now, our biggest focus is just getting into the same place as each other being around each other without these massive stretches in between and eventually adopting a nice big fluffy dog.
0: Well, Devin, if people wanted to get in touch with you, ask you questions and thank you or talk about their coming out stories or, or their struggles, how can they do so?
1: Um, the best way to reach me would be at my Instagram at that gay rugger. Um, also, if there's people who want to talk to me about podcasts or interviews, they can use my email address, which is just my first and Latin name at hotmail.com. So Devin is at hotmail.com. Um, and also to answer your question from before in terms of what's next, um, I really just want to get out there and be as visible as I can and kind of share my story in hopes that it might have a positive impact on somebody else. And I think that now that I've done this, it's kind of, you know, my goal to just widen that impact as much as I can and, you know, hopefully create some sort of meaningful change in the sport.
0: There you go. I love it. And as as I end every episode, Devin, I always have to say, be true, be you, and be fierce because uh, there's nobody else that's going to do it for you. And with that said, I hope you all really enjoy Devin on this podcast. I know it's about an hour long, y'all. I'm not sorry because everything that we talked about is excellent. So I hope y'all enjoy the listen and um, y'all be safe out there, okay? And love one another and just, just take care of yourself. All right. Bye-bye.